first reading comes from Genesis. Thanks, I guess I wasn't low enough. (laughs) Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And you can find that on page 10 in the Pew Bibles. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Uh, This reading from Galatians in the Pew Bibles is page 824, and the reading is from chapter 3 and a chunk of chapter 4. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? or by believing what you heard. Are you so foolish? After being beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteousness will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. 
What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer, it no longer depends on a promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. If the law therefore opposed, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery until the basic principles of the world, under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And, so you, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Dana. Uh, let me welcome you if you're new amongst us. It's great to have you join us. We're, we're looking at the book of Galatians. If you uh, missed the page number, it's page 824. We normally have things like that on the slides. We're just having a few technical issues. Um, I'll also alert you. It's a technical issue with the door over there. We're going to try and fix it, but at the moment you're locked in. No, there is a door at the back, but uh, uh, we will try and fix that and make it so we can actually walk in and out a little later on. Um, if you're not familiar with the book of Galatians, uh, it's a great book. It's a book all about freedom. And I've suggested to us that uh, the image we want for freedom is that goldfish, uh, a goldfish in a bowl. It is truly, genuinely free. Uh, why? Well, if it leaps out of the water, uh, yes, it might experience some novel things for a moment, but quickly it will die. Uh, its freedom is not... Uh, stopped by being in a bowl but rather it's protected as the water is kept in and it can live in there and in the same way uh, in the book of Galatians Paul wants us to see that as long as we remain in Christ we are genuinely truly completely free but should we step out of him we actually lose our freedom uh, and we enter into death 
Um, that's the kind of framework, that's the picture, that's the image I want in your mind. Uh, but how about I pray that God might speak to us? Our Lord and Father, we thank you for you and we praise you for your goodness. Uh, we thank you that uh, without you, there is no strength, but you give strength to those of us who are weak. Uh, we praise you that uh, in your mercy, uh, you allow us to know you, that we might live as people who are truly free in your world. And Father, we ask that this morning we would capture all the more what it is to be free in you and delight in it and be excited by it and live differently because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, how would you fill in these blank, the blanks in the statements I'm going to give you? Just about yourself. I am a child of blank. You don't have to call this out, by the way. This, yeah. uh, blank is my father. Blank is my home. Every day is blank. Blank is my brother. Blank is my brother too. See, knowing who you are actually matters, doesn't it? Uh, This morning, what I would like us to do is leave certain at least about one part of who you are. That if you have your trust in the Lord Jesus, you are a fully and freely accepted son of God. As Galatians 3.26 put it, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all of you were baptised into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Uh, Or to put it another way, to fill in some blanks, I am a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Saviour is my brother. And every Christian is my brother too. It's a whole change of identity. It sounds so simple, isn't it, to say, oh, I'm son of God. But, But when you have an understanding of who you are, that does change the way you behave and the whole outlook. Um, as a staff team, in the last week or so, we've, um, we've done some personality tests and they've been sent away and information came back. I mean, the, <laughs> the win of it was apparently I've got a personality, so I think I came out fairly well. I passed. Um, happy about that. Uh, I suppose what was interesting, though, is we, we read through these, these personality tests. It was not just the, the information that it kind of gives and the insights it gives into my character, but how it worked for me is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So now that I've kind of read this stuff about me, in little ways I found myself kind of playing to what my identity was, you know, kind of, oh, yeah, did that. Well, of course I'd do that. Uh, And so then I'd kind of play those kind of things out. And and my hope is as we explore this morning what it is to be fully and freely accepted sons of God, we'd be shaped that way too. It'd act as like a self-fulfilling prophecy. We'd actually live out what it is to be a son of God, have our identity in him. So, So rather than kind of Going through this passage step by step, bit by bit, um, you would have noticed as Graham read it, it was fairly convoluted. There was some interesting logic going on. Let's you know, chat about that over morning too. You can ask whatever you want. Uh, rather, what we're going to do is cherry pick bits out of it that, that give us an insight into what it is to be a son of God. Because that's the culmination of Paul's argument, that, that bit he gets to at the end. So Paul is writing this regard attack um, to save the Galatian church, place in Turkey, um, from being enslaved again, spiritually that is. See, false teachers have gotten in these Galatians' ear and try and persuade them that you've got to do stuff to get right with God. You've got to earn your place with him. And he is just astonished they're buying into it. Uh, You can see uh, he doesn't pull anything back. Three, verse one, you foolish Galatians, you idiots. I can't believe that you're buying into this. You know, he's already told them at the end of chapter two, just, you know, 
how even Peter had fallen to the stupidity of that kind of trap. And made it clear, no, no, we are justified. We stand right with God, not by what we do, but by faith alone, by trusting it. And, and we want to put in an effort where we actually destroy the gift he's giving us. And, and what he does in chapter 3 is the argument crescendos. Um, justification, right standing with God, you know, that's great. It says you are accepted by God. But adoption shows just how deeply and how fully and how freely you are accepted. As J.I. Packer puts it, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, even higher than justification. Because justification, he says, is a forensic idea. It's, it's conceived in terms of law. It views God as a judge. But adoption is a family idea. It's conceived in terms of love. It views God as a father. So what is it to be a son of God? I'm going to give you seven features of it. And I know the saying, the word seven, is scary. The first one's going to be slightly longer than the others. Uh, first of all, we are sons by faith. First and foremost, verse 26, we are sons through faith or trust. The line that runs through chapter 3 is that our standing before God has and always will be built on a promise that he keeps. Um, it's exemplified in Abraham. So Paul just kind of does this masterstroke by pulling the name Abraham out. Um, he's battling with people who are kind of super Jews, and so he goes, great, I'll cite the guy who's the founding father of Judaism. I'll bring out Abraham. Verse 6, Abraham, did he do stuff? No, he believed God. It was counted as righteousness. And so, verse 7, all who believe are children of Abraham. And in verse 9, those with faith will be blessed along with Abraham. So the inheritance that was promised to Abraham was, was to his children. That doesn't mean biologically because it's never been about biology. It's, it's the children who share his attitude of dependence, as verse 29 puts out. It's the, points out. It's those who share his faith. You know, we are sons of God by faith. Now on one side, I, I think we don't realise how amazing this is because because our culture has so reduced the gap between us and God that it's almost assumed that isn't everyone's God child? You know, perhaps you've had those, um, you've seen ads or, or had those appeals to charity and kindness and the end of conflict on the grounds that we're all children of God, which is a nice sentiment. And yes, I'm pro-kindness and charity and the end of conflict, but not because we're all God's children, because we aren't all God's children. Yes, we are esteemed. All of us, all humans are esteemed because we are the peak of God's creation. Yes, we are loved by God. God, All people matter so much to him that, that he would send rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous so everyone can have crops. You know, He gives jobs to people whether or not they like him. But we are not all his children. Uh, Australian Parliament opens each day with the Lord's Prayer. Um, and in many ways, uh, it's great that woven into our political structure is an acknowledgement that God is overall. And yet... It does have people on, of all sorts of faiths and creeds calling on the maker of the universe as their father. And that may not be the most helpful because it, it leaves people to presume on their relationship with God. So it doesn't help people if they don't understand where they really are with God. And the Bible is uncomfortably blunt about what we're naturally like before God. Um, in Ephesians 2, we're children of wrath. In 1 John 3, we're even children of the devil, just by nature. We are not all sons of God. At best, here in Galatians, we are slaves under the law. 
Now, so many people wrongly assume that they've got a place card with their name at God's table and there is nothing of the sort. See, by nature, we are not sons of God, but by faith, by trust, anyone can be. That's the beauty of it. Anyone can be. That, you know, the, the, this does away, I suppose, with the, you know, the flip side of ignorance is arrogance. Uh, you know, the claim to be a son of God uh, in a society full of you know, children of wrath um, can sound fairly presumptuous. You know, I go up and party and go, hi, my name's Mark, um, I'm a son of God. Um, I don't actually do that at parties, so let me clarify that. Uh, but, you know, it sounds arrogant to be making a claim like that, and yet it's not. It's no more arrogant than one beggar telling another beggar where the food might be found because it's all about faith. Uh, there is nothing worse than arrogant Christians, because they just fail to understand the heart of Christianity. Um, if, if you've been tempted to think of yourself as a little better than those people over there, uh, if you've ever found yourself in that, that situation where you're praying, Lord, thanks for making me the way you have and that you didn't make me like, you can fill in the blank. Yeah, you need to watch out if that's you. Because arrogance is just a fundamental denial of what it is to really be a son of God because it's only by faith. Secondly, and we get shorter, uh, we are sons by being in Christ. Um, verse 26 again. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ. So Paul is he's very careful in saying we are all sons. There is a word children. He uses the word children, but he's careful to say we're all sons, not children of God, not even sons and daughters of God. We are all sons. Now, and I'm aware that not everyone in this room is, is male. It's not a statement about that. So we are all sons because we have been baptised or immersed. That's the concept of baptism. We have been immersed completely in Christ. Um, we have been clothed, that is, we've been covered over by him. What Paul is saying is that, that our standing before the Father is as sons because we relate to the Father just like Jesus. He looks upon us and doesn't see the distinctives of who we are. Rather, he sees Christ and treats us as his son. And so we are all sons because we are, we are in Christ. We are incorporated into him. Now, I don't want us to overread this. Um, Paul isn't saying that gender or, or culture or social status doesn't exist anymore. It's not like, you know, you become a Christian and we all wear uniforms and have the same haircut and, you know, every difference has to be absolved. No, there, there are lots of other parts of the Bible that talk to that sort of thing. So, um, you know, godliness looks different across the social spectrum. In, in 1 Timothy 6, rich people have to do certain things. Uh, other parts of the Bible pick up how you be different. Uh, you know, godliness is different for a bloke as it is to a woman. He's not saying those things don't exist, but he is saying when it comes to your standing before God, it's irrelevant. You know, we are fully, equally, entirely, freely accepted before God because we are just as accepted as Christ is. You know, because Paul is arguing against this, uh, people who wanted to return them to a system of, that was built around a temple. Uh, and the temple was designed to have levels of how close you could come to God. And it was based on culture and on gender and on class. But that's no more. <laughs> you know, in Christ, we are all sons of God. If you are a Christian, you can't be any more acceptable to God than what you already are. What a super relief that is. Yeah, a minister I, I uh, once knew 
said one of the reasons he entered ordained ministry was he thought it would make his standing before God more certain. Can't be. When you're in Christ, you're that. You know, I, I often like, I enjoy praying with people. I do appreciate people asking for prayer points. But sometimes I get people who ask me to pray on an assumption that you know somehow my prayers are going to be more successful, more acceptable because of the job I do. No, no, no. The beauty of what Paul is saying is that by faith, all in Christ are fully, equally accepted. Third, as sons, we are free from law. Legalism's dead. Um, chapter 3, that, that's the kind of flowing logic. He, he goes to the effort of explaining how, how faith and law fit together. Um, law was never meant to put people right with God. It was never meant to justify. It was meant to lead them to trust God. So in verse 10 and 11, those who depend on the law are cursed. Why? Because you can't do it all. You just fail. The law is there to show you just how unholy you are so that you would actually turn around and start trusting God. Verse 24, that it might lead people to trust Christ. And then, then Paul takes the idea a little bit further. He, he kind of you know, represents the law in 4 verse 2 as, as like a, a... Well, the word we have there is a guardian. Uh, the sense there is... Um, in his culture, certain slaves had a job to look after wealthy uh, families' children and they would take them off to school and back and you know, make sure the kids kind of kept in line, so to speak. Uh, but when you grew up, that job was over and, uh, to be honest, to associate with a guardian when you were a little older was actually kind of a little creepy. It said that there was something a little unnatural about the relationship you had. Um, and so you don't keep hanging around with your guardian when you're a grown-up. Uh, same with the law. You know, it's, time has passed. Now that in Christ we have sonship, living under the law is kind of creepy, to be honest. You know, as sons, we don't revert back to legalism. Uh, we don't enter the Christian life by doing things uh, and we don't stay in the Christian life by doing things. We aren't subject to Jewish laws any more than we are to Christian legalism. You know, so you don't have to worry about those church attendance, the quiet time commitments, the serving rosters. It's why last week Scott helpfully reminded us in the kids' talk, anyone managed to hang on to their nail in the pocket during the week? Yeah. Maybe you might remember it at least. Uh, like you didn't nail it in. Last week I suggested we, we don't need to have those mental notebooks of all the deeds we've done, good and bad, because in our pockets we carry around the nails that crucified Christ, at least metaphorically. Uh, we remember that he died for us. Our sins are paid for. And so we don't do a thing. We might still choose to be loving, but, but we do it freely, not because we have to. Fourthly, as sons, we have a new nature. Here at 4 verse 6, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. You know, the reason the law could never justify anyone is we just didn't want to do what the law said. Our nature was just to do our own thing. But God transforms that. One of the remarkable things about that movement to become a Christian is you actually desire to do the things of God rather than turn away from it. See, in, in ordinary human adoption, the, the child enjoys all the blessings uh, of status, but, but there's no internal genetic transfer. You know, if you adopt a child, you don't kind of make them go through a DNA you know, sample transfer. I don't think that's possible, by the way. Uh, but, but when we're adopted as God's sons, it's so much deeper. He places his spirit within us. And, and we're going to read on in Galatians the joy of what it is to have the spirit within you and how it transforms you. You know, I, I've been in plenty of churches where sin has occurred in the life of individuals. 
And the solution is never, let's create more rules. The solution is always to grow in the grace of Jesus and pray for a greater work of the Spirit to incline us to actually live our new nature out. Fifthly, as sons of God, we've got a new intimacy with God. Again, 4 verse 6, the the Spirit within us cries, Abba, Father. Um, Term Abba there, it's not the Swedish supergroup. It's an Aramaic term. Uh, It's one of respectful affection. Um, Lots of people try and say in English it's kind of like daddy. I'm just not sure that's quite helpful in the fact that in our culture the only people who say daddy are are little children and really, really super posh people. I don't know if you've ever become super posh people who actually, you know, they're they're in their 50s and they still talk about daddy and mummy. Uh, It's a whole culture I'm, yeah, I may not be part of. I'll let you work that out. Uh, No, no, but, but Abba's not about being an infant. It's about being intimate. Uh, that's what Packer is hinting about when he said adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers. It's higher than justification. So as, as sons of God, we can expect when we pray to be heard as a child. We approach him with respectful, affectionate boldness, knowing he's going to listen to us. Uh, Billy Bray, a Methodist, approached prayer. He used to talk about his prayer uh, with people, I suppose, saying, I must talk to Father about this talking about God, Uh, and it kind of is an odd way. We don't normally think about prayer, but he's right. I must talk to Father about this. A Father who will genuinely listen, and when he sees if it's good for us, he will give us what we want. Uh, The psalmist in Psalm 66 um, talked about how if he cherished sin in his heart, God wouldn't have listened. He understood that prayer is relational. Now, it might be that God would listen to our parliamentarians who are a bit presumptuous in calling God Father. It might be because God's kind of gracious and kind. It might be that God would listen to you if you're here today as a non-Christian. It might be that he would listen to your non-Christian friends because God is kind. But, but there's no assurance or presumption that he will because it's a relational activity. In the same way, you know, there might be kids when I go to pick up at school who come up and speak to me, some who might be friends of my children, some I don't even know. They might make a request of me. I might choose to grant it, but there's no expectation I have to. Uh, So, but when it comes to my children, when they ask, um, I listen. Sixthly, we have a new confidence. 4 verse 7, you are no longer a slave, but a son. It ties with where we'll finish with inheritance, but but the idea of of being a son rather than a slave is that you are assured a place in their household. My kids aren't perfect, uh, but no matter what they do, they have a place always in the family. John Wesley, as a young man, he went up to um, Oxford to study to be a minister. Uh, He threw himself into this group called the Holiness Club. They worked hard at, well, being holy. and they were a group that were mocked for just how radical they lived in trying to follow God. But years later, he came to a genuine faith rather than a faith where he's trying to earn his place with God. And he confessed that in his early days, he had a faith of a servant, not a son. By that, he meant he had a faith that lacked assurance in God's eyes. He, he felt like he was, you know, had to keep doing good like a servant, keep earning his spot to stay in. Because a servant can be let go, as Steve shared, you know, jobs go. Sunday night it's fine, Monday it goes. But not for sons. A son has no fear. And that's the faith that John Wesley came to 
and we who are sons in God, of God have. Finally, we have a new destiny. 4 verse 7, since you are a son of God, God has also made you an heir. So it's not just that our status here on earth is changed, it's actually that our whole future is different. You know, we are co-heirs of the riches of heaven. You know, inheritance is the heart of adoption. Um, we have friends who uh, adopted a, a little girl from China. Uh, she's taken their name. She enjoys their care. And even when they pass on, everything they have will be hers. It doesn't kind of cease. It's not over and, oh, well, you've lost that status. It's, it's, you know, adoption has, has both present and future benefits. Yeah, the amazing generosity of God is that he is going to share the glories and wonders of heaven with us. We will be co-heirs with Christ. And it's the only inheritance really that's worth investing in and worth having because it doesn't spoil, it doesn't crack, it doesn't fade, it doesn't wear out, it can't get lost. One of the recent delights uh, I had in going through the book of Revelation with with someone sharing with me their, their new insight about heaven. And for the first time they'd come to realise heaven wasn't just wafting about in kind of ethereal, floaty, cloudy stuff, but rather that it was substantial and tangible and real and just good. That there's going to be quality, just like this creation has quality, that heaven will have quality too, but without the brokenness and decay. And it was just such a delight to hear someone realise it because, because I think so often our problem is that we fail to see just how good the inheritance is God has for us. And so then we invest all our energy into things we inherit here. We throw ourselves into stuff that's just going to fade and pass. But as sons of God, there is something greater for all of us. Seven features of what it is to be you, to be a son of God. How we identify ourselves is so profoundly powerful. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that you claim this refrain as your own, that I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My saviour is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. You are a child of God. God is your father. Heaven is your home. Every day is one day nearer there. Your saviour is your brother and every Christian is your brother and sister too. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the Christian secret of not just a happy life, but it's the Christian secret to the Christian life, <laughs> how to live differently. Understanding exactly who you are, fully, freely accepted sons of God. Let's pray that we might live that out. Our Lord and Father, we give you great praise that uh, you would invite into your family people who are far from worthy, uh, Father, thanks for the privilege that by faith we can be in Christ and enjoy uh, statuses, one of his and one day the riches of heaven. And Father, we pray that we would leave today with a great confidence of being your children, of being your sons and being able to call you our Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.